0: The Big Ideas TXST Podcast is brought to you by Next is Now. For more information, visit www.txstate.edu. Hello and welcome to Big Ideas, a podcast from Texas State University. I'm your host, Dan Seed, from the School of Journalism and Mass Communication. On this month's episode, we're joined by Dr. Sion Kim, an associate professor in the Department of Sociology. Dr. Kim's research focuses on aging and the life course in physical and mental health. Dr. Kim has recently published a journal article on the health benefits of volunteering among older adults. Dr. Kim, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted.
0: So before we get into your research, we always like to learn a little bit about our guests and what drew you to your field of expertise. So what drew you to sociology as a profession and your specific areas of research?
1: The reason why I got into gerontology and studying older adults and social gerontology in general was because of my grandfather. My grandfather died of a really long illness and he was sick for about five, six years. And he was just really sort of cognitively, physically, and psychologically declining towards the end of his life. And just seeing how my family members dealt with it and how I dealt with it psychologically and physically, I just wanted to shorten. We call it the compression of morbidity. I wanted to shorten the time of pain we spend. In later life. So that's why I got into gerontology in general.
0: So, how do you bring that into your work on a daily basis? Because I would imagine that's not ever really far from your mind when you undertake something.
1: That is not true. Um, I try to study how social environments, um, not the medical model, but how social environments affect psychological and physical well being because I, I strongly believe that there are non-pharmaceutical, non-medical social interventions that we can implement pretty readily to enhance older adults' psychological and physical well-being.
0: So your research that we're focusing on here was published in the American Journal of Preventative Medicine. It's not only interesting, but it's also a bit timely in a way. In April, Texas State holds its annual Bobcat Build. Teams of students go out in the community. They help people around San Marcos, around the area, clean up their yards, refurbish parts of their homes. So this is timely, and I know that this does focus on the older population. But in general, how does volunteering impact people? Physically, mentally, regardless of age?
1: That's a great question. I am not an expert in volunteering among adolescents, but I do look at different articles across the life course just to see how volunteering affects well being. But research pretty unanimously shows that volunteering is beneficial for people who are served, but also people who are are volunteering. Volunteering is helpful for volunteers psychological well-being and physical well-being and I think there are multiple explanations on why volunteering is helpful and one of the biological sort of evolutionarily sound framework is something called caregiving system model so people are evolutionarily developed to help other people and care about other people so when people engage in pro-social behaviors like volunteering It is helpful, it activates parasympathetic nervous system, it calms sympathetic nervous system, so it reduces stress hormones, and it also reduces cardiovascular activities. So it's really good for physical health, but it is also well documented that volunteering is good for depressive symptoms, Uh, it reduces depressive symptoms, and it enhances psychological well-being specifically eudaimonic psychological well-being.
0: And I think that answer combined with your earlier answer about what got you interested in sociology and gerontology speaks to why you did this study. Um, this study is one that you worked on with a professor from Boston College studying the volunteering impacts on the lives of older adults. Walk us through how you went about conducting this study, and then we can get into what you found and some of the key findings related to health.
1: Um, So, we started with the premise that around 29 million older adults, uh, so they're 65 and older, they volunteer through organizations each year and they contribute collectively about 3 billion hours of services to the community. So, volunteering is regarded as beneficial for volunteers. But earlier studies with two to 20 years of follow up have reported that, regardless of how volunteering is measured, the activity is associated with higher self-rated health and fewer depressive symptoms. But research also points to potential selection bias because volunteering is by definition voluntary, but there are certain resources that draw volunteers to voluntary activities. So older adults with key advantages like wealth or education or higher social status are more likely to volunteer and reap Further benefits. So, in our study with my colleague, Cal Halperson from Boston University, we wanted to challenge the single regression coefficient type of a model. We looked at the differences between the wealthiest and the least wealthy individuals when they volunteered, whether the volunteerism exerts higher benefits for the older less wealthy individuals or more wealthy individuals.
0: If you could just give us a general overview in terms of what the study found in terms of impacts on older adults with volunteering, and then we can break it down a little bit into that, the the difference in economic factors as well.
1: Sure. Yeah. So we studied about 20,000 individuals from 2004 to 2016. So this is a 12-year longitudinal study. We also created a quasi-experimental model that adjusts for the fact that wealthier older adults are more likely to volunteer among other factors. And so we reduce, we tried to reduce biases in our, our results. So the findings actually show that in the full sample of 20,000 people, volunteering enhanced self-reported health and it reduced depressive symptoms for older adults in general. So that was our overall finding.
0: So why do older adults benefit from volunteering in these areas that you're talking about, physical and and mental health?
1: The biggest difference between different age groups, especially for older adults versus middle-aged adults or adolescents, is that uh, volunteering is... Specifically for younger adults, uh, younger population, volunteering is tied to different roles. So volunteering is tied to their role as an employee or their role as a student, their role specifically as parents. And after retirement and, and during, you know, later life, older adults are usually more intrinsically motivated to volunteer. So volunteerism actually becomes more gratifying
0: looking at it from the outside, that makes sense because there is older adults, you do have that altruistic fact of wanting to do it versus, as you said, you know, I mean, I have a five-year-old who's in kindergarten and we're volunteering for the local school carnival, and it feels almost like a have to, not a want to. And so that's an interesting way to look at it. One of the big issues here was the, the economic factors, and you touched on that. And that's one part that I found interesting was that you broke the study up in terms of wealth brackets, say, I guess, where the lowest wealth bracket experienced more gains in self-reported health from volunteering than their wealthier counterparts. Why is that?
1: I think that there could be two different reasons. Uh, we didn't specifically study these reasons, but um, my educated guess evidenced by some of the research is that it could be the ceiling effect. So that people who are in the wealthier, wealthier social group are already pretty healthy. So they have higher self-reported health and they have lower depressive symptoms. They have fewer depressive symptoms and especially compared to the least wealthy counterparts. So the ceiling effect means that wealthier volunteers don't have that much to gain from, that much additional to gain from volunteering, whereas Lower-wealth volunteers probably have more to gain from such activity.
0: What are some of the specific effects that you've found when looking at volunteering, especially among the the less wealthy groups, specific areas where they saw improvement? Is it physical health, mental health, a combination of both?
1: So we looked at self-rated physical health, self-rated mental health, and depressive symptoms. So we found that lower wealth volunteers experienced greater gains in self-reported health and depressive symptoms.
0: And I don't know if you can speak to this, but why is that the case?
1: Our sort of hypothesis is that formal volunteering may operate as a health equalizer. Through this article, we were interested in convincing policymakers and charitable organizations who tend to focus on middle class to, uh, to wealthy volunteers, but it is important to eliminate barriers to volunteering among the least wealthy, such as lack of transformation, uh, transportation, uh, discrimination, or lack of organizational support, because some of the qualitative studies show that lack of transportation and lack of organizational support are probably two of the biggest barriers for lower wealth volunteers. For volunteering.
0: So you you really said that well that research should be put into action, right? That if we do research and nobody sees it and it, it never gets put forward, there's not a whole lot of use for it, I suppose. But taking what's been learned here and then affecting change as a result of it, in what ways do you see this kind of research being able to be used? in both healthcare and society at large, because I think that this really touches on both of those ends, the health aspect and in the societal end of getting more people involved in the community.
1: That's a really great question. We already know through research that volunteering can provide many benefits to individuals, and it is possible that being involved in the work of nonprofit and, and community organization increases someone's social social network and social support and access to important health promotion programs, which in turn can influence the health of the lowest wealth volunteers the most. So in terms of health, removing barriers so that everyone can volunteer, we're not trying to say that volunteering is the panacea of all the health problems or all the diseases, but we are trying to Create an opportunity structure that is more inclusive towards not only higher higher middle class, wealthier volunteers, but also lower class, uh, less wealthy volunteers so that they can participate in these activities and reap the benefits, reap the health benefits and economic and psychological, social benefits as well from such activity if they wanted to. And
0: I was going to ask this too, when you're talking about volunteering and what you looked at, what these people did in terms of volunteering, was there one specific or a few specific kinds of volunteering that showed the most benefits? Does it really depend on, I guess, the person or is it where you can narrow it down and say volunteering where you're interacting with others or helping others on a face-to-face basis can give these improvements more so than doing something where you're not engaging with people, like picking up trash, for example, or is it all equal? Just doing the volunteering helps with some of these issues.
1: That's a great question. And I think that's one of the limitations of the study because we looked at volunteerism and the frequency of volunteering, regardless of what type of activity they're engaged in. And also importantly, virtuality. Um, Or whether they volunteer in multiple, through about multiple voluntary organizations, or they volunteer because of religious or cultural or social motives. So we don't really know that, but some of the existing research shows that value-based volunteering, so if you are really interested and committed to, to the issue that you're volunteering for like political organization or religious organizations. And religious organizations are actually uh, one of the most prevalent volunteering recruiters out there. So value-based volunteering activity is shown to be beneficial.
0: Sounds like what we discussed earlier, the idea of wanting to do it and having passion for it really is kind of that deciding factor versus my work's making me go do this this weekend so i've got to go right yeah exactly so when you do this kind of research uh, i'm always curious about this because you know we do this research and you mentioned your passion and and why you do this what do you take away from this that you then can put towards yourself or maybe older family members to to help them understand the importance of it
1: first of all i try to put money where my mouth is so i do volunteer in Austin, <laughs> I volunteer through Meals on Wheels. I volunteered at the Humane Society. So I do some volunteer work because I wanted to practice something that I research. But for older family members, I try to, not just through volunteering, but I try to encourage my family members without forcing them because as a, as a child, <laughs> forcing or telling your parents' what to do is apparently not a good idea. Sure, (laughs) right. I try to encourage my parents to be more socially embedded and more socially engaged in different activities. And I actually convinced my dad to volunteer before he retired so that there's sort of a a continuity in his role because I saw a body of research that establishing some sort of social network and social engagement activity before retirement is actually really helpful. So I did that. <laughs> yeah, that,
0: that, that's so important because we see so many people, right, that that when they retire, their world is just flipped upside down, that, that routine disappears. And oftentimes, I know, you know, from my own family, that older people that become more isolated right they're they're coming to family gatherings that happen holidays whatnot but day to day they're just so isolated that then they eventually kind of begin to slip away cognitively and physically so i think that that's an important piece of advice is is to establish that routine follow through with it post-retirement
1: for sure research or statistics show that about uh, 60,000 people turn 65 every single day so we have a pretty big uh, baby boomer population and one thing very important to note here is that baby boomer population is more educated and healthier than the preceding cohort so this is beneficial for the society to utilize resources and wisdom and experiences that uh, baby boomer population already has for the good of the society and also um helping older adults to not be isolated and more embedded within the community.
0: And again, we're joined by Dr. Sion Kim, an associate professor in the Department of Sociology here at Texas State, and we've been talking about volunteering. And Dr. Kim, you have a a next chapter coming up. Developmental leave on the horizon, and you're going to be getting a little deeper into this study of gerontology and different factors and how it can affect people. Walk us through what's next for you.
1: So, I've always been really interested in how uh, social engagement and volunteering and productive activities in general affect physical and psychological well being, and specifically biomarkers. And because I study biological and physiological well-being. I've always been really interested in genetic factors and genetic risk factors for diseases and how some people with the same genetic profile don't get sick and some people do get sick. So what you know what kind of determinants drive those factors? So I, I will be on a developmental leave and thankfully, I got the supplemental funding from Texas State University, so I'm really grateful for that. I'll be at the University of Michigan at the Institute of Survey Research. I'll be collaborating with the scholars there to study genetic risk factors or different uh, common diseases like dementia or cardiovascular diseases, and what kind of lifestyle factors like social engagement or volunteering can modify that association.
0: That is fascinating stuff and it's one part of a very big puzzle in understanding and hopefully at some point controlling or eradicating dementia and Alzheimer's and and just the fact that you're you're going that route I think is just incredibly interesting whenever I talk to people that think the way that you think that try to piece these very complex puzzles together. It just always amazes me to talk to folks like you.
1: Oh thank you. It takes a team. It takes an entire village. I'm just it, part of a village.
0: It sure does but you know the village comes together, solves the problem and, and makes all of us better. So we thank you for that. And, and Dr. Sion Kim, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Seed.
0: And, and best of luck on your developmental leave. And, and again, she is somebody who practices what she preaches. She volunteers, she talks to her parents about volunteering. And so if you have an older adult in your family, pass this message along, it can make a difference in them going forward in in their older years. So thank you for joining us and thank you all for listening to Big Ideas. We will be back next month with another episode and until then, stay well and stay informed. Big Ideas TXST is a presentation of Texas State University and the Division of University Advancement. Subscribe to experience more innovative, thought-provoking content. If you like what you hear, consider leaving us a starred review, five if possible. The views expressed during this program are those of the individual participants and do not necessarily represent those of the university. Big Ideas is hosted by Daniel Seed, produced by Jamie Bloschke. Strategic consultant is Kelly Raz.